This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up. Okay, what's up, everybody? This is Ross the Boss. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saints, and you are listening to Mars Attack. This is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein of Doyle, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what do you say? Be careful, because Mars Attacks. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winnorp of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's happening? This is Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig. Hey, all here's Andrea Kitter from Sepultura and De La Tierra, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Enjoy. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Fellow from Anthrax, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Turn it up! Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Max Cavalera, Soulfly. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Stay metal. What's up, rock and roll headbangers and freaks? This is Jason McMaster, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Monty Pittman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 137 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and we welcome you to a Texas-themed episode. Yes, if I want to quote the Misfits, Texas is the reason. (laughs) The song is Bullet, where the lyrics are taken from. Ah, About... um, about the assassination of President Kennedy. There you go. Uh, anyway, we have two great musicians from the state of Texas. We have Monty Pittman, who is returning to the show. And we have Jason McMasters, who is um, is technically, technically joining us for the first full interview. Uh, you've heard him during the Classic Album series, which, once again, all of these... Archive episodes were recorded when I did last year's big, you know, sixth anniversary shindig for the show. And I accumulated over 20 interviews that I am slowly putting out. Um, Again, (laughs) I'm starting the episode out by saying I am sorry. This episode, in my opinion, or this interview, I should say, with Jason McMaster is great. It is an interview that I wanted to put out the second uh, I recorded it, but due to various different reasons, I couldn't do it. So I'm bringing it to you now, a year after it was released. And Jason was recently on the Danko Jones podcast and did a really cool interview talking about the uh, new Broken Teeth box set that they're going to be releasing. He also discussed Something that I wasn't aware of until the last, um, until after doing this interview, that there was actually a, a hardcore band called Broken Teeth as well. So check that out. Uh, that's the Danko Jones podcast. Danko does a, a really cool, not only is he a great musician, but uh, he does some really good interviews. It's interesting. I've said this before. To me, having someone like Jamie Josta interview people or Danko Jones 
to, to me, they're on top of the on top of their game. A lot of people point to other people, a, a other a lot of other name uh, interviewers per se, but I don't think that they have the ability to sort of, you know, get in get in and ask certain things. It's similar to in sports when you have a retired say quarterback become an interviewer, he's going to be able to ask different questions than someone who went to, you know, some type of a, a university to, to study journalism or telecommunications. Why? Because that person has been in the locker room, they've been in those situations, and it's the same thing with musicians. Uh, these musicians have been in those positions. They know what it's like to have to deal with issues with royalties and things at festivals and so on and so forth. So there are different things that they can ask that, for example, I can't ask, that, for example, Eddie Trunk can't ask, that, for example, you know, Mitch LaFon can't ask. You know, no, nothing wrong with any of the people that I've mentioned whatsoever, and I'm not trying to compare myself with them at all. I'm just saying that, you know, when you have, again, Jamie Josta asking you know, about royalties owed to a former band member uh, or speak to that person specifically about uh, monies owed. It's different than if I asked that because they know the exact ins and outs. I mean, ultimately, I'm a fan that does a podcast. I mean, let, let's, let's be brutally honest with that. That doesn't mean that I have, in a lot of instances, more inside knowledge than anyone else that's out there. There's plenty of people that know a lot more of the ins and outs than I do, but I try to do my best to do an entertaining show and talk about different things that I do sort of know about. So anyway, yeah, if you haven't checked out either Jamie Josta's or Danko Jones podcast, I definitely recommend them. And if you haven't checked out Eddie Trunk or Mitch Lafon, do that as well. Uh, that's a perfect segue to discuss Ear Peeler, which is the podcasting interview and news site that I um, that that is mine. That is that is my baby per se. Uh, so the the and I've said this a bunch of times. The whole reason for that site is to basically get the word out there uh, for interviews that are not TMZ like and scandalous headlines. Um, the the first thing that's coming to mind right now is how a lar a big publication took an interview that a good friend of Mars Attacks, um, Joel Gostin, happened to publish, and what this publication did, and this is a publication literally with magazines all over the world who went and took an interview that he did with Chris Poland. And made sure to find the most scandalous thing that, that they could post. So basically, out of the entire thing that, out of the entire interview, he posted something, or they posted something to the effect of that Megadeth was envious of Master of Puppets. And I saw Joel's reaction on Facebook, and he was 100% right. Out of everything, this is what they're taking out of it. So... Basically, ear peeler, we don't need to go after that whole, you know, um, so-and-so cornholed me in a, in a dressing room in 86, you know, as, as a headline. 
what I try to do is just try to spread the word of other great podcasts that are out there, other great interviewers that are out there that work their ass off to put shows out. And I mean, I'm, I'm drawing from 700 some odd feeds to try and update the information on the site on a daily basis. Um, are we blabbermouth? Are we brave words? Not at all. Uh, I've said this from day one. I do not intend on, you know, going out there and saying, hey, we're going to compete with, with these guys. No. Ear Peeler is a supplement to any of the sites that you'd normally visit to get your daily fix on Metal News. The whole thing is that those sites receive, and again, I'm drunk from 700 some odd sources, okay? Um, it is very difficult to filter everything out. Uh, I've tried to automate the process as much as possible, and even doing that, it takes me a lot of hours a day to, to, to put what you see on a daily basis together. If by any chance you see that you know, news are being backed up or whatnot. It is 100% because there's some type of an IT issue going on. Like we've had hacks in the past year. We've had viruses. We've had all types of different things that, you know, I'm learning on the fly. I'm not a developer and I'm learning things as we go along. So um, 17,000 posts in in a little over a year is what we have with Ear Peeler and I'm going to be launching a Patreon for that shortly to try and get um, uh, to try and get web better web hosting. Not that our hosting sucks. We've changed it quite a few times in the last year. In the last few months, there was a stretch there that we were on four different servers in two months. Uh, but we're looking to get dedicated a dedicated server, which also means that we have a dedicated technician. And things will be running a lot more smoother than they do now. Uh, we're setting up the Patreon because I honestly do not have the funds to fund that at the moment. Um, and it, it is also a sort of a, a supply and demand type thing in the sense that, you know, if, if I can't raise the money that I need to to try and um, and try to switch over to that type of hosting, then it, it's almost... You know, it it makes me wonder if it, if it if it matters to have the site open or not. Let me just put it to you that way. Um, I I you know I really appreciate any type of you know word of mouth that you get out there and you tell people you know to check the site out because really it it is something that you know I'd I'd love to be able to improve and do as much as possible with the site. But honestly, if if it monetarily does not make sense, then then I may have to reevaluate what what takes place with the site. I'm I'm being brutally honest there. So um, if people aren't into the whole Patreon thing or whatever, there are links on Mars Attacks, on Ear Peeler, and any site that I'm involved in, galaxyofgeeks.net as well, where you can click on ads and purchase things from affiliate stores, from Amazon, so on and so forth to help raise money for the site. And, you know, I'm not saying that other people don't have it difficult with, um, with their jobs, with doing different, you know, with, I, I, listen, I understand people are going through hard times. That's what I'm trying to get at. I understand that people can't donate money all the time. 
and you know if you can donate a buck that's cool if you can if you can donate more you know buy a t-shirt from say the ear peeler merch store that's great you know that that does help uh quite a bit and and to be quite honest everything that we're doing with merch uh, we're not making or i'm not making more than two bucks on any of it so just keep that in mind uh, i've i've heard people you know, mentioned that the prices were somewhat high. It's 20 some odd bucks, 25. Uh, if we're going to hoodies, it's about 45. You know, people are complaining about it being too much. Um, I hear you, but it's the only way that I can basically service listeners all over the world or viewers of Ear Peeler in this case without having to, to charge 20 bucks for shipping. You know, yeah, okay, I can do... Uh, a $9 shirt, but shipping is then going to cost 20 to $25 to get it to the States. That's, that's just unfortunate. That's, that's the, the post 9-11 world that we live in that, uh, you know, UPS and FedEx and everyone else took advantage of what took place and they jacked their prices up. So just, uh, let me put it to you in, in this, um, let me break it down to you this way. Uh, I tried to order pickups for a guitar. They call, they, they, the package weighed two ounces, $55 to ship to Europe. Okay? So keep that, keep that in mind. That's, that's UPS. And snail mail, like I'm saying, it's 20-some-odd it's bucks from here to the U.S. So there you go. Uh, anyway... Back to uh, back to the interviews in question. Uh, I want to play some music before jumping into. We're going to go with Monty Pittman first, and then with Jason McMaster after. This is, like I said, uh, Monty's second time on the show. When he released "The Power of Three, I never, for the life of me, thought that I would be playing the ever living crap out of that album after the interview. Um, if you listen to anybody that does interviews, you always tend to have a favorable image of somebody that you interview, especially after, you know, after doing a really cool interview with them. Okay, you tend to look at things in a much more positive way. I mean, it's obvious when you see things like, you know, when you see end of year list and you know that an album is, is a big hot steaming turd and somebody's, you know, making it, it's putting it within their top whatever list when you know the album is just plain flat out bad. And again, that's all opinion and whatnot, but being able to interview somebody <laughs> does, um, d- d- does give those albums favorable points. Let's, let's be honest. So, the Power of Three, I didn't think that I would like the album as much as I did. And this is something that I mentioned to Monty off air in that that album just has tracks on it that I go back and revisit all the time. And there was like one Friday where, you know, shit was just fucking horrible. You know, we all have those days where it's a shit sandwich day and... You know, we turn to a song or, or we turn to something specific to really, you know, turn our moods around to give us hope. And just the the words for this track and, 
you know, and just the overall feeling of, of this song, just, it was something I needed to listen to. So the name of the track is End of the World uh, by Monty Pittman. This is coming off of the album, The Power of Three.
there you go. End of the world coming off of The Power of Three by Monty Pittman. And one of the things that, and this, I'm going to get into this in the interview, and we're going to get into that in a second. One of the things that we discussed during the interview is the fact that with the previous interview, he mentioned that he didn't feel like The Power of Three, or he was sort of hesitant you know, that Metal Blade was interested in it because he was thinking of, you know, Cannibal Corpse and Amon Amarth and, and all these other bands. And the Power of Three has some metal tracks on it, but it has a lot of great, great hard rock on it, like that track. And shit, the album has Chris Barnes of Six Feet Under Cannibal Corpse fame and Alex Skolnick on it, for example. And once I heard... The new album, which is Inverted Grasp of Balance. The first thing, the the first track that I heard, or the, I mean, they, they put out a single, and it was Pride Comes Before the Fall, which is a great, great track. But the first thing when I put the album on was a track called Panic Attack. Now, today is September 23rd. You can pick this album up today. Do yourself a favor and do so. This is one of my favorite albums that I've heard this year by far. It is a continuation of The Power of Three, if you've listened to that. But if there was a question of his metal cred or his heaviness, this is just a sample of what you will hear on Inverted Grasp of Balance. We're going to hear a little bit of Panic Attack before jumping on into the interview with Monty Pittman. about gear because a while ago I saw an interview where you had talked the Kemper amps up quite a bit and the versatility that they offer you with all the various projects that you've worked with recently. Are you still using the Kemper amps and and how do they facilitate going from your solo work to going to play with Madonna or Ministry or anyone else that you've been involved with? Yeah, I use those, and I still use my orange amps, too. I, I use both. I mean, they both, um, you know, when I can, or like from Madonna, I'll use them both together. So I have that real amp response. Right. And that um, and that definitely has an effect on 
how you play and how you perform, but also uh, the characteristics of the Kemper make it to where uh, it, it works better in like a relation where everything is going direct and you use in-ear monitors and and so you have you have that sort of scenario. Um, okay. If there's a, if there's like a cover band gig where I've got like a variety of different sounds that I need, uh, the the camper's got too. So it, it just depends on what uh, what situation I'm in. Both gotcha. are great, you know. Both are great things to have. And for the camper, I uh, I refile my own sound, my amps. So it's like I use my amps, so I use the camper to do that. That's how I recorded the new album. Yeah. Oh, you did do it with the Kemper then? Yeah, I, I profiled my amp, my main orange amp that I use, the TH30. Is what, that and a dual dark 100 are my favorite ones. So it, it's one of those, and then I use the Kemper, and that way I could just take the Kemper into my hotel room <laughs> right? and uh, record, record my guitar tracks. Gotcha. Now, you're saying that you have the orange with you up on stage as well. Is that does that go out over the uh, the PA or the sound system, or is that just for you to have behind you and for you to go along and and listen to that while you're playing? Yeah, that kind of works as my monitor. Sometimes we mic it up too, and the sound man can use that. It just depends on the room. Right. Yeah. So it's always uh, different. Okay. And and I remember seeing a video shortly after David Bowie had passed away where you guys covered Rebel Rebel. And the first thing that came to mind was, you know, just seeing how you were able to dial in a specific sound for that, that the only way to do. That was very handy. <laughs> right. That's that, that's what first came to mind. I'm thinking, you know, he used that Kemper to dial in the exact sound for that, you know, that classic 70s Bowie sound. Yeah, I went for like a Marshall Plex C and then just sort of tweaked it from there. In any event, I wanted to move on talking about the um, your new album. And it's funny because we actually spoke when The Power of Three came out. And you explained the entire story of how you went to Brian Slagle and went to him for advice. And he basically told you, you know, I'll put the album out. And the first or one of the things that you mentioned to me at that time was that it sort of caught you off guard because you didn't think that the album was full on metal to be on metal blade um, or something to that effect. And the, my first listen to inverted grasp of balance was, well, he sure as shit made up for it <laughs> right off the bat with. <laughs> well, yeah, what, what I meant by that is like, you know, what I meant by that is um, you know, like just being really heavy, but they do have a huge variety of stuff. In other words, the material that came out, it wasn't a cause and effect of you being on Metal Blade so much as it just coming out of you uh, that much heavier. Well, you know, I had them on board from day one, and I was like, if you're going to be on Metal Blade Records, let's be on Metal Blade Records. You know, let's put out an album <laughs> like that. But I, I wanted to do a really heavy album, and, uh, you know, I was influenced by familiarizing myself with all of the material. So. You know, I'm sure that was a big influence on me from listening to Behemoth and Abon of Arth and Whitechapel and Uncle Ass and the Deadbeat and, um, you know, that all those revocation, I guess. I don't do any low-tuning stuff, really, but that kind of thing. 
Yeah, but I mean, even though you don't go in that direction, I mean, there's no reason why that can influence you like any of the other stuff that you're involved in. I'm sure all of it sort of pieces together and influences what you come up with, regardless whether it's, you know, really heavy like revocation and being technical progressive metal um, as opposed to, you know, I'm sure your other influences also work its way into it as well to give you the, the sort of peaks and valleys that you have on this album as well. It sort of works together. You know, um, it's kind of funny having you listen to uh, and get inspired by it, it all comes out in the music that you write. Yeah. A- another thing that I really noticed on this album and was something else that we talked about the last time around was you taking lessons from Dolores Rhodes. They're, there's a bunch of different spots on this album where just the way that you're soloing, for example, the solo in um, Double-Edged Sword, uh, the way that you're tapping, the way that you're bending notes, where you can really tell that you have a, a very Rhodes uh, influence in your in your playing, really hearkening back to what Randy did in his playing with Ozzy, obviously. Um was that something else that you wanted to incorporate in this album, or is it just something that, again, sort of just flowed out of you when you were recording and writing the material? Yeah, I mean, that that from uh, being inspired from Mrs. Rhodes, uh, there's a way that she taught, there's a way that you look at the notes, uh, there's a way that you approach your timing. Um, and so, yeah, that'll always be ingrained in me. And uh, yeah, I... Andy Rhodes remembered shows, and I'm sure that sort of influenced me a little bit because I played Revelation Mother Earth. And I did notice that. There were some little, uh, you know, little tricks that he did that I did catch myself doing. And it also, uh, for on, on, on his birthday, Kelly and Kathy, that's his brother and sister, asked me to perform at, like, a get-together they, they had, and I, get, I kind of did, like, an acoustic set where I played some different parts of songs and sang them and played stuff. So, you know, again, like from what you learn and from what you get influenced by, it, it comes out in your, your writing. It comes out in what you play. Absolutely. There's so many different things in your playing on the album. I mean, there's, there's one thing that I guess a lot of people sort of um, have a standoffish type attitude towards, and it's live albums. But for me, the two live albums, the two official live albums that ended up coming out with Randy's playing, just have something really special to it. And a lot of the same things that, I mean, and obviously you're saying it's from his mother's teachings, a lot of the same things that you hear in his playing, I mean, it's very evident on this album. So, I mean, it's it's really, for me as a fan of Randy Rhodes playing and for me as a fan of of your previous work, it's really a treat to listen, to hear how both of them have really melted together on this album. Oh, awesome. That's great. I mean, I hope it all, you know, comes together. Awesome. And obviously on this album, you had Richard Christie and Billy Sheehan uh, play on it behind you. Uh, On the previous album, you had Max and Kane for The Power of Three. Why was there a switch from Max and Kane to Richard and Billy? Was it a label thing? Was it something that you wanted to try playing with somebody different were logistics involved exactly why was the switch made that well i mean i I did a lot of it in new york and richard's there and uh, me and richard have the same management and we're both with metal blade 
Uh, I was going to have a few different people. It's just those are the people who um, those those are the ones that made it stick. You know, you know, the, 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 I was going to have a few different people, but the schedules didn't work out. Yeah, and with you doing all your touring, I mean, it's obvious that you have your. Although I read that you did a lot of the recording on the road, I'm sure you still have different things that you have to adhere to to make it all work as well. Yeah, yeah, actually. Um, and then Richard did his drums himself, and then he sent them to me, and then I played on top of that. And then I was busy on tour, so I recorded when I could, you know. When you started getting the material back from Richard and, and from Billy, were there any, like, holy shit moments when you were hearing what, some of what they were returning to you or was it more or less along the lines of what the demos were like? Uh, um, I gave them the demos and then for Richard, I said, just go nuts, you know, just um, <laughs> do, do whatever you want to do. Play this how a drummer would play this. Cool. And was there anything specifically that stood out with his playing once you heard his completed tracks? Well, it's just like anything, just from the way he played, then I could go back and re-record my guitars playing to him. So, in other words, it helped you sort of up your game, per se. Yeah, I mean, it's just playing, you know, to the way that he played. And it's just like taking, you know, he has his approach from how he played on the album, and then me just playing to him like you would any drummer. Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody's gonna play different when you all play together. It's gonna be that 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 chemistry. You also went with Jay Rustin on this album. What was it like working with him as opposed to Fleming? Um, Fleming really pushed the band to get that that attitude out of the performance. That's what he wanted. And Jay would like really work on uh, melodies and parts and distinctive sort of parts. Okay. And obviously I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times due to your work with Madonna. Uh, but has she or anyone else from the band that you're involved with uh, when you're out on the road with her, do they get to listen to the, your albums that you put out? Do they give you any sort of feedback? Uh, well, Madonna sold my last couple albums at her merch booth. I'd given them to her. And, um, huh. Yeah, she's been very supportive. And um, and and I have to say that the MDNA um, DVD has been played about I don't know fifty times in the last year in my household. So it's actually awesome. cool hearing that and <laughs> and and seeing you up there and just all the different things. I'm hoping that there's uh, another follow up um, uh, with what you guys did on the Rebel Heart tour as well. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see that finished product. I don't know when that's coming out. Very cool. Um, where should people go if they want to keep up with what you have going on? Uh, you can find me. Well, there's MontyPittman.com, and you can find me. You can find anything from that. Uh, all the social media is like at Monty Pittman. Uh, you can go to MetalBlade.com slash Monty Pittman and pre-order the album and uh, see the first, the artwork video for the song Pride Comes With for the fall. Uh, the album comes out on the 23rd. We just filmed a video for the track Guilty Pleasure. That's coming out uh, hopefully the same week as the album, but, you know, depending on... We're not going to rush it. We want to get the editing just right. If you could throw in there, uh, you, you can reach me for guitar lessons. You just email me at lessons at com. 
I teach online guitar lessons, and uh, okay. kind of, I've been doing that also, and I can teach anywhere in the world, so it's been great. Awesome, and you teach all levels of uh, discipline, or? Oh, yeah, all levels, all ages. Hey, this is Monty Pittman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. For the Fall by Monty Pittman. I want to thank John Freeman for making that interview take place. Always great, again, to talk to somebody whose music has really touched you and, and mattered to you. Uh, the interview was a little discombobulated in the sense that my internet has been absolute shit these past few weeks. And even last week's with Ryan O'Keefe, it was like doing walkie-talkie with him and and I had to edit the crap out of that same thing with Monty there were questions he didn't understand and things you know I I made things work let's just put it that way he did offer to to redo the interview but you know it it sucks having to redo things because then people are 
are, are sort of expecting certain questions. Um, not to say that he isn't getting bombarded with those same exact questions I threw at him like a, a million times. And it's funny, like I say during the interview, yes, the Madonna MDNA DVD, um, I've seen that a bunch of times. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh, that's... This is your wife's music in the car. No, it's my music in the car, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy all types of music. I don't care. Uh, I really enjoy that album by Madonna. If someone doesn't agree with that opinion, that's cool. I'm sure there's different things that you listen to that you enjoy that I don't enjoy. That's why we all have our own opinions and you know things that matter to us. So... Uh, there you go. It, it's always cool to see him up on stage or whatever when I'm watching the DVD and, you know, or I'll, I'll be, people that know me all the time, I'll be trying to do music trivia type things in, in person with people and with my wife all the time, you know, I'll, we'll be watching something and I'll say, well, who out of everyone that's, you know, up on stage there have I interviewed? And she goes, well, the only guy that has that looks like a semi-metal guy is the guitar, so it's got to be him. And, of course, she was right. So, there you go. Uh, check that out, too, if, if you're interested in, you know, other things outside of hard rock and metal. It's a great pop album, I think, MDNA, and it's, it's a really cool uh, DVD. And, and, you know, to be quite honest... So many other people get press nowadays. You know, Beyonce gets press, uh, Katy Perry gets press, and you know, I would I would say that, um, and I'm 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 throwing my metal cred out the window here. I would say that out of those two, I definitely do appreciate Katy Perry more. But if you look at that Madonna concert and see all the things that she has going on, you know, it is reminiscent of what was done in the '80s by a lot of metal bands where they were putting on a show where it just wasn't a bunch of guys up up on stage, you know, just playing. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's also cool to see a show, to see, a, you know, some type of a spectacle as well to get your money's worth. But, um, yeah, she definitely takes it up to another level with everything she has going on. And um, it's cool that, you know, she has someone like Monty in her band and, and I, you know, a lot of people begrudge people like him and people like um, Rihanna having Nuno Betancourt in his band. And in an upcoming interview with um, Richard Christie, that's actually something that I discussed with him because I don't see it all that different to say Richard working with Howard, uh, you know, for his day job and being able to do Charred Walls of the Damned as a result. You know, I see Monty being able to put out these great albums as sort of a byproduct of him being part of Madonna's band. Uh, same thing with, with Nuno and what he's done, you know? So there you go. That's my opinion. Uh, before I forget, I do want to remind you guys that um, Galaxy of Geeks is the other podcast that I do with my good friend Chris Vaglio. Uh, we talk Star Wars, um, Marvel, DC, Cinematic, and TV Universe. Uh, the last episode that we released was based on our top five alien invasion movies where the two of us talk about you know, the, our top five. Again, each one of us lists five alien invasion movies that we really like. So uh, if you're into that type of stuff, if you're into any geek-type subject, 
Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, so on and so forth, check it out, galaxyofgeeks.net. Similar to the Mars Attacks podcast, we are available on iTunes, on Stitcher, the Google Play Store as well. And if you go to galaxyofgeeks.net, you can find all of the great uh, links to where we are on social media as well. I also didn't mention this before. Same deal with Mars Attacks. If you're listening to us for the first time, uh, you can go to marsattacksradio.com and find links to all the social media sites where we are located or where we can be found, I should say. Uh, the icons for on both sites are on the top and the bottom. So there you go. Uh, up next... Jason McMaster. To me, this is a really cool interview. Again, as a as the music geek that I am, this doing this interview really was a thrill for me because it wasn't your typical interview in the sense that I was able to throw a lot of different questions at him due to his experience, due to where he's from, due to things that he's been involved in over the years that strays from the norm. Um, not trying to say that what I do is better than anybody else or anything like that. I just think it's cool when I can sort of take someone out of, you know, the daily element of doing 20 interviews or however many it is and sort of steer things in other directions and, and have people, you know, luckily enough compliment me for um, for turning interviews into a conversation or having people you know, tell me, you know, I wish, I wish I could talk longer, but you know, I have, uh, I, I have another interview scheduled, you know, it was great talking to you or whatnot, you know, shit like that makes my day. I'm sorry. Whether, I don't know whether the person saying it to me is, is saying that to everyone or not, but it's cool to hear. So anyway, Jason McMaster, so many things that, that he's been a part of. And, and we talk about that during the interview. Um, obviously a lot of people, got turned on to Jason because of Dangerous Toys, uh, because of Watchtower. Around the time that I did this interview, he was about to release something by a band of his called Broken Teeth. I mentioned that at the beginning of the episode. Uh, that album is just fantastic. Um, I got it in... And, you know, people hype albums up, and it was rock from... Um, Radioactive Metal, who said, you really have to check this this album out. It is really, really cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll check it out when I get a chance, you know. And, and once I did, I, I definitely was not discouraged at all. Um, the name of the album is Bulldozer. And I discussed that via email with Jason, being that I grew up in a construction uh, background with my family, uh, bulldozer had a heavier term to it than than front loader. So yeah, I I get it. <laughs> um, anyway, let's let's check. Uh, actually, one second before I get into this, we talk about Watchtower during the interview. Now, a lot of things in recent months have changed with Watchtower in the sense that Watchtower is going to be putting out. A new album, finally, with Alan Tecchio on vocals. So what I mentioned during the interview about Watchtower and discussing Watchtower with Alan was from 
a while back. So obviously, or I would assume that that has all changed because Alan has recorded the vocals. To what extent that has changed or what his actual relationship with the band is at the moment, I do not know. I hope to talk to Alan in the future. He's been great to the show. He's been one of the only people that have that or that has commented on every single album that's featured in the classic albums uh, series. Um, Jason did as well. He he commented on a bunch of albums for us uh, on a bunch of episodes that came out last year. If you want to check that out, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and look for the classic albums series. That's uh, it's very prevalent. <laughs> it's easy to find. So. It's a lot of different cool albums that they talked about. Anyway, we'll get into some Watchtower before wrapping the the episode up, definitely. But uh, this is the lead-off track off of Bulldozer. The name of this track is Raining Fire. And after this, we will get into the interview with Jason McMaster. is made out of South by Southwest and it growing over the years. Uh, you're obviously from Austin and from that area. How much has the Austin music scene changed due to this festival? Well, uh, everyone's in a band now. Everyone plays music. Uh, you know, the homeless people play guitars now. Uh, the the people holding cardboard signs that are panhandling play guitar, um, and the taxes are so high now that the reason people want to live here, South by Southwest, has helped that. 
Don't get me wrong. I'm not a hater. It's fantastic that my city has grown and grown and grown into this mogul of uh, entertainment business as well as a wonderful place for families to raise their kids um, who love art. You know, young people who are married, who have kids, who love music and love art, they move here because they, they it's a great place to raise their kids and they love music and art. So, you know, maybe they come to ACL Fest one year and that's the reason, oh, they fell in love with Austin. We have to move here, honey. You know, I get it. I, I totally get it. Or they come South by Southwest and they're a musician. It's like, wow, this is the coolest music city I've played in. And I'm from Chicago. You know, Chicago is just as hot and happening in my eyes as Austin, Texas. New Orleans, you could say the same thing. Um, it's on maybe it's on slightly different levels because of uh, Austin has a different factor to it. You know, do I want to live on a levee in New Orleans? Do I want to live in the Windy City? Do I want to? You know, Austin is mild compared to that as far as uh, as far as weather, uh, landscape, whatever. So. Um, it's changed immensely since since my early days here because when I moved here from South Texas, I was about 17 years old, and there was no metal here. It was still early for heavy metal. Heavy metal was fairly new. Sure, there was Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, but you know it was only a few years after those. We're talking those bands only had like, well, Judas Priest had. Uh, nice five or six records out, seven records out maybe. But, you know, uh, Kill Em All wasn't out yet. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> right, right. So the landscape of, of, of heavy music or hard rock music had, had not arrived. But I will say this, Crazy Train came on the record, I mean, sorry, came on the radio uh, the, the year after I moved here. So that's when sort of the dam broke and it became almost household immediately. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, as far as South by Southwest goes, it's not about the little guy anymore. And when it started, it was all about the little guy. It was all about a place for labels to come instead of, you know, licking stamps and sending your cassette tapes and your and eventually your CDs and eventually your RPKs and whatever. Uh you, you know, your 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 you know, digital uh format to someone who might listen to it. It was a place for the people you were addressing them to to come for a weekend, not two weeks like it is now and uh, actually shop bands. You know, <clears throat> oh, man, there's this band from and they're playing this festival. I'm going to go to Texas and check it out. Fast forward to now. Sure, the little guy can come and play if they accept you. They'll accept your money for your, uh, for your fees. They'll accept your fees. Hmm. But what, who do they have pressing play listening to your material saying yes or no? That's that's scary because, you know, if it's some 18-year-old college student or 20-year-old college student who's getting a degree in, you know, film, TV, radio, who is an intern, just press and play, listening, 
you know, who are they to say that this artist is good or bad? You know, there's right. some kind of trust has to be built there. But I'm just telling, just giving you ideas of how scary it, it kind of seems to me. So you don't get accepted. What do you do? Not come to Austin after you've already bought your plane tickets, whatever it is, right? Right. Do so you come anyway and you play on the street corner, or what do you, you know? What do you do? Do you not come? Are your dreams destroyed? You know, it. So it's turned into. Fast forward to now, it's a trade show. That's all South by Southwest is is a trade show, and I'm not knocking it. I'm not praising it. I'm not knocking it. I'm not. I'm being totally neutral. So if you're Metallica or, you know, whatever, uh, Naz or, you know, a Kardashian or whatever, and you have a new line of anything, music, clothing, software, anything, you can come to South by and rent a room and have a party and give out samples and, probably garner some business but that's all south by southwest is now and whether a lot of people know that that is the true underbelly of it or not i think it's just a big party for the industry to come down and spend you know throw their plastic cart down and just party and there's that too and it's all about the parties some people just try to get into all the free parties that they have if they'll buy a wristband or a laminate or whatever, they'll just go to all the parties and only use their laminate or wristbands as needed. <laughs> and um, that's that's what it is now. And, you know, I'm not dissing it, and I'm not saying, you know, oh, I can't wait for South by every year because I'm kind of over it. Um, I usually play the uh, the free underground festivals is what I usually end up playing. There's a festival called uh, um, Texas Rock Fest. There's, they have a website, and uh, the fees are minimal, and they're very accepting. Uh, and it's basically a first-come, first-serve within a week, a week's worth of uh, set by artists that are going to be in town that sign up for it that, you know, they take applications early in the year. I mean, or, you know, mid year, the year before it happens. And, um, that's one of the ones, but there's many sort of, uh, non South by, uh, festivals that happen within the festival that is South by that's why they just call it music week now. And it is like a two week, they start the film festival a week early. Then like halfway through that, they start the, uh, interactive, software equipment blah 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 so it's crazy yeah i i wanted to ask because they sort of bring how it's changed or how the the scene has changed during the um uh sonic highways the dave grohl uh series that he did and when they talked to um uh, the guy that's in charge of uh, Austin City Limits, I believe, he sort of insinuated uh, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned. And, I mean, with the advent of the Internet, obviously, it's easier to keep up with a lot of the stuff. And to me, as a music fan, it became odd exactly what you just mentioned. Oh, so-and-so's going down there to debut a cell phone. Like, what the fuck are they debuting a cell phone at at a music festival? So 
little by little, you know. But it's here's... not just it's not just music; it's a trade show. Yeah. Yeah. Once you wrap your head around that, that <laughs> sure it started as a as a music festival, but now right. it's an everything festival. Yeah. You know uh, why pay hundreds of dollars to get your wristband and parking and food, and you know the prices go up during that week. You know it's twenty five thirty dollars to park. Your meal's going to cost about that. Your hotel prices are going up. Everything goes up in this town that those those week or two that week or two, and uh, if if Metallica is going to play South by Southwest and you've paid all this money to do that, well, why don't you pay half as much to see them on tour when they come near your town? Right. To play a longer set for less money. A longer, more diverse set on top of that. <laughs> right. And and I'm sorry to I'm not beating on Metallica. I'm just trying yeah. to think of a of a godly band that oh my god, they're gonna be in South by Southwest, so I'm gonna pay a thousand dollars to hear and play thirty minutes. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm just trying yeah. I'm just, you know, sorry Metallica. You know, it could be any kind of fan. Britney Spears fans, you know, Britney Spears is gonna play. It doesn't matter who it is. Just somebody who's big name, you know, it doesn't matter. Gotcha. So you'll you'll see a better, longer set for less money and and a better, yeah, just better all the way. A better, you'll get a better product for a cheaper price. Um, I mean, unless you're just here coming down here to get crazy and be seen, because you know, a lot of people coming to Austin just stand around to look cool too. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, gotta gotta love it. Just got money to throw around the yeah. to look cool and stupid in public. <laughs> well, they move here. They move here to to do that, you know, because we're very liberal here. So, if you're a weirdo and you're being beat on where you're from, you can move to Austin and probably not get beat on. You know, <laughs> gotcha. You okay. will be a completely accepted, and that's great. But you know, I have to look at it. So, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And um, you've actually received a star on the South Texas Music Walk of Fame. What was that like for you, as a not only as a musician, but you know, um, sort of, you know, re receiving any type of award? What does that mean to your career? Sure. Well, it didn't do anything for my career. It, it's like a bowling trophy, you know, <laughs> yay, I won, you know, um, it's kind of, um, you know, I don't mean to be, to sound negative because I'm not, it's a, a total honor. Uh, that's that walk of fame is down in Corpus Christi. It's a, uh, since I'm from there, it's an honor because, uh, my dad still lives down there and, uh, he's very proud and, that's kind of important since I'm kind of a high school dropout and your parents hate that shit right. when you drop out, you know, <laughs> that's normal. Right. I can say that. And they're all, everyone listening to this can, can understand right. what that means. Mom, dad, I'm dropping out of school. What? Get your ass out of this house. I hate you. You know, whatever. <laughs> that never happened to me, but they didn't, they were not happy. And so, Whatever the case, 
to be recognized by your peers and by any administration and by any city or uh, scene or area. And, uh, you know, it's not like, it's not a Hollywood walk of fame. It's a Texas, it's a Texas music walk of fame. And it's, they're deliberately trying to focus on people from South Texas. And there's a lot of people on that walk of fame that you don't, you don't realize are actually from down here. Hmm. Uh, Bill Haley and the Comets. Huh, no kidding. Wow. Bill Haley's from down here, right? So he's on there, and there's a, you know, there's a Janis Joplin star. You know, there's it's crazy to to remember to remember or even recall or to just learn that there's a lot of history in Texas as far as music, all kinds of music. Right. So uh, it was a, a total honor, and um, people ask me about it all the time. So you know, I have that. At least I have that. People people like it that it's you know that they people feel like i'm deserving and and uh i'm humbled that that people feel that way because i really try to not have any sort of uh anything to do with the people who or, or the ideal that uh that you know to feel like you are deserving of that you know right um because no one is no one is other than who uh who are fans of the music and the things that you've helped create uh to you should be voted in right that should be a fan favor it's not it's not something you call up and go hey man i want you to put a star with my name on it you know that, that's you see what i'm saying that's, yeah. that's obvious right so right so it's an honor um the same thing happened here in austin the austin chronicle who is basically uh, in in cahoots in running the entire uh, South by Southwest. Uh, they're they're like basically so a sort of uh, go to a board of director of South by since its humble beginnings. And the owner of the the Austin Chronicle, which is like the entertainment rag in Austin and has been as long as I can recall, they're behind South by so they do this thing every year where um, they'll do an, uh, uh, an Austin Music Hall of Fame, and it's a write-in vote by readers, right? And you can, uh, you can write people in, or they have a list of people you can vote for every year. It's like, well, who are we missing? Who do you think should be in there? And um, I'm in there twice with once with my band Watchtower uh, and once uh, with myself. So that also is an honor because I feel like Austin is on the map. Uh, obviously, it is because of you know the area you're from, and here we are talking about this. You're asking me about this right. kind of a thing. So the the uh, that's it, at least the South Texas people have a have a walk of fame where it's a physical, tangible, you know, you can stand on it kind of a thing. And uh, the, 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 the Austin Music Hall of Fame is probably a filing cabinet in a room downtown. <laughs> you know, it's not a real hall of fame. Right. So it's not a plaque or anything. So, but they hand out awards at a giant uh, ceremony that's well attended and, you know, they're, it's full of movie stars and, people that are in town for the festival that get free invites and blah, 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 and bands play. And it's, it's a, once again, a, a big honor. 
So it, it kind of goes with, goes hand in hand sort of with the, the South Texas music, uh, walk of fame. Okay. So it's cool. It's cool. I'm, 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 uh, I'm humbled by anyone who thinks that I, that I need to have that kind of thing to be recognized as always good for one's soul, you know, validation, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone loves a little, a little bit of that. Yeah. I think listening to you just describe it, that's the perfect word that just kept popping up in my mind was validation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned Watchtower a second ago. And you have over the years sort of done a, a tag team thing in and out between you and Alan Tecchio being the, the lead singer in that band. Um, why has it been so difficult for Watchtower to just hold on to one guy to sing for them? I have uh, one idea, and that one idea is that they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> okay. They have no idea what they want. Let me let me correct that they don't know what they want um you know it's not really i hate to use the word hire and fire but you know they'll call me to come in and demo out a bunch of material and then they'll decide in the middle of it that they don't like what i'm doing they don't like my wacky vocal style you know they'll make comments and say oh it's too metal or it's too wacky or it's you know it's disconnected well all of those three things that they're using to describe what I'm doing over the top of Watchtower music is exactly what people like about Watchtower because Watchtower is all of those three things, disconnected, wacky, and metal. So if you take those three things out, what is it? Watered down dream theater. And, you know, once again, no disrespect to dream theater, I love dream theater. But you understand what I mean yeah. about if it's going to be a little bit more of a melodic, slowed down, big chords and things like that version of Watchtower, it's like Dream Theater's already got that. I don't want to be a Dream Theater, you know. So as much as, as I would try to appease the guys in the band with the work I was doing on what's now not really new material, um, I can just back up and say – you guys just have no idea what you want it to sound like anymore. Hmm. So, you know, confused by control, confused, you know, controlled by confusion. It's their, it's their words. They are slave to their own words. It's crazy. Um, Alan Tecchio is a close friend of mine and I got him involved in this. So, Usually when there's a high, that hire and fire sort of, you know, flipping the coin of sorts, uh, we call each other and laugh about it. <laughs> Not in secret. I mean, they'll, you know, the guys know that me and Alan are friends, you know. Right. So that's all I have to say about that. I love Watchtower. With, you know, I, I, I learned so much being in a band with those dudes for, you know, a decade. And it continues. It's a band that that won't die, even though there's only two records worth of material officially. Uh, it's a band that just won't die because it's arguably a pioneer of sorts, right? Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. When I spoke to Alan, 
Um, I, I speak to him every now and then. We're from generally the same area, and actually he lives a town over from where my folks live now uh, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But, um, cool. The way you described it is almost 100% like he described it when he was oh yeah, giving me the frustration with the band. So, um, right. So it's almost like a repeat performance. So <laughs> that's right. Um, one interesting thing that I read online, and this is sort of a um, question that I wanted to ask to see if uh, we could debunk a rumor here or not, because you know everything on the internet is absolutely true. Um, but uh, the the rumor has it that you were approached at one point in time to be the lead uh, the lead singer of Pantera. I was asked by uh, Vinnie and Daryl's father uh, via telephone call in 1986 to come to DFW area, to Arlington in particular, to audition for Pantera. I declined. Uh, you have to think about what Pantera was in 86. Right. I, I knew them as like a glam rock band, kind of, right? Right. Whatever, absolutely. a cock rock band, a rock and roll band, right? Def Leppard, whatever. Yeah. You know? And, uh, which I, you know, at that time, Def Leppard was still good in my, in my mind. My, you know, not to start talking about Def Leppard, but oh my God, High and Dry is unbelievable. Yeah, well, the first two Def Leppard records are sick. Anyway, they had a little bit of that, and of course, you know, they were they were following trends, and that's actually that's actually Daryl's own words. I've read interviews where someone had asked Daryl, "So, man, why, why, where were you guys, where were you guys heads at when you were doing, you know, wearing pink spandex and shit, you know?" leopard spots and shit big hair and stuff and daryl easily turned and said following trends man it was our age it was where music was at the time well you know what were you listening to when you were 16 you know think about it you know it was but it was uh nonchalant and a very professional uh non-degrading uh question and answer and so anyway all due respect i declined because I was still trying to keep Watchtower off on the, you know off the ground. I was trying to keep the name alive, and we were going through a lineup change with the guitar player Billy White leaving, and trying to we were pining to get uh, Ron Jarzombek with it, which eventually he agreed to do. And it was before we had actually played our last shows with Billy White in San Francisco, uh, which were both. Uh, those shows were in the Bay Area were both booked by uh, Ron Quintana, if you know who that is. Right. Uh, Anyway, um, it is true that Mr. Abbott called me, and then I think a week or two later, Vinny called me, and I declined both times. And, of course, it wasn't long after that that they, they got Philip. And the rest is history. And uh, if I if I would have gotten that gig, uh, who knows what could have happened? Right. You know, uh, I don't know if Cowboys from Hell riffs were even written at that point. 
Probably not. It was a little too early. I think that um, Master of Puppets and things like that coming out really changed the way Daryl was writing. You know, put a couple of Slayer and Metallica records in front of Daryl. Rumor is I heard Daryl didn't really like Metallica right when it came out. Got into it a couple of years later. Could be. I mean, what what you're saying makes makes complete sense. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of the band and what they were putting out, if if they were following yeah. specific trends, I mean, obviously they didn't yeah. flip that. They didn't completely flip the switch until Cowboys, and that was what 
The rest of the pants, one leg is red and one leg is white. That's a fucking Texas flag. So they didn't get it. They just didn't get it. So they tried and they, they, they failed. And we tried and we failed, I guess, to let everybody know that we were a Texas rock band. But I will say this. When when the cult asked us to tour with them, uh, one of the things that the, the cult guys I heard from the mouth of you know, the band was we, we found, we, we thought you guys were like this twisted New York doll thing from Texas because they noted, obviously they noticed the Texas flags, you know, and pretty much every member of the band had a Texas flag tattoo as well. So I don't know why people thought we were from California and that's okay that they thought we were from California, but it should have given them a clue into why we sound the way that we sound or how we sound. Uh, finding out we're from Texas, whether you've heard us yet or not. So funny that we're talking about this. I have to say, and you may know this, we're playing with all of the bands that we've been hooked in with. Uh, we're playing with them on Saturday. Okay. Did you know that? I, I did not actually. There's a there's a festival happening Saturday at Irvine Meadows in Orange oh. County, California. Okay, yeah. Called Cat House Live. Yep, that's right. Okay. Yep. Name a band from that area, and they're on the bill. The only bands that are not from that area: Tom Kiefer, Sebastian Bach, Dangerous Toys, Extreme. That's it. There's like. Eight. 50 bands that are from that area that are playing. Well, I think Saigon Kick is actually from Florida. I'm yeah. not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're from Florida. But, yeah, it's just kind of funny that there's like five bands from elsewhere, U.S., middle of the U.S., and everybody else is from, you know, California, Hollywood, whatever. I just thought it inter- interesting, you know. But L.A. Guns, Fast Pussycat, uh, you know, Gilby Clark, uh, Tough, Bullet Boys, you know, you know, the docking. So. Yeah, it's um, interesting. One, one of the things that you mentioned there about people comparing you guys to Poisoner to these other bands uh, or saying that you guys sound alike. I think it's obvious over the years if you really pay attention to any type of music. Uh, the influence is really what what shines through. I mean, if you all listen to the same bands growing up, it's obvious that those influences are going to shine through as opposed to just saying, oh, well, we're going to directly rip off, uh, you know, band uh, X because, you know, they're on the radio. Right. That's right. You've fronted a bunch of different bands uh, a bunch of different hard rock and metal bands over the years. Is there any style of music that you haven't sung or that you haven't been a part of that you'd be interested in doing? I would love to do some blues and funk and soul. Um, I love death metal and black metal and satanic dark metal, you know, Right. But I may have covered some of that with uh some of the power metal bands that that I that I'm either currently working with or have worked with. 
but it's not really the same thing because uh, I think that the corpse paint thing is kind of fun and takes me into my kiss days, you know. <laughs> right. And I think that uh, that that would be fun, but I don't know that I could vocally stand up, you know, to to what's needed. If it were a King Diamond thing, no problem. All day long, I can do King Diamond's style of vocals, melodic. Uh, wacky you know what i mean stuff because that's what i do that's i have like four or five different voices that i use if if you know my voice uh you you know that that's kind of true and uh king diamond i'm not i love king diamond but i'm not like modeled after him right right Mm -hmm. so he he has his thing and i have my thing but it's very similar that we have four or five different voices that we use you know Mm -hmm. um you know who else has about four or five different voices, and it's not the same sort of histrionic, crazy, wacky thing. Is uh, Robin Zander doesn't get really the credit for having huh. like literally four or five different tones and voices. You know, he's got a raspy thing, he's got a really high clean thing, mm-hmm. he's got a falsetto thing. You know, the same things you could say about King Diamond or myself, you can say about Robin Zander. Whether you like these singers or myself or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think that art stylistically we're crap. But <laughs> right. the point is I'm saying that that's what I like about uh, it. I feel lucky and charmed that, that I'm able to do all different styles of hard rock music or melodic music in general. So, Okay, and you're always busy with various different projects. What projects do you currently have that you're working on presently? Well, I'm trying to get an Elton John tribute off the ground, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we're literally, we're trying to actually nail the tone and sound of Elton John uh, via seventies material. Mm -hmm. It's not Lion King or anything like that. Just to make sure that everybody understands that. (laughs) Right. It's, um, great songs like a greatest hits album from the 70s it's ultimately reads like that um i'm fronting an aerosmith tribute band which is shit tons of fun um i still play rob halford in a judas priest tribute i have a metallica tribute that i play guitar and sing in uh we're called kill em all of course but it's not like kill em all the album title it's two words killa Ah, okay. Second word, second word, Maul, M-A-U-L, <laughs> and it's got uh, Darth Maul's eyes behind the logo. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to change the name of Kill a Maul and do Ride the Lightning stuff, we would probably call it uh, Keep Darth Maul's Eyes in There and call it Ride the Lightsaber, <laughs> which is stupid as shit, but it's it's kind of fun yeah. and once again we're trying to nail the songs it's not like a joke or a hoot night or something right, right we're right. trying to we're trying to be legit so um you know i, I have an acdc tribute that i that i played bass in called powerage i don't sing in that i just play bass and um so you know that's a lot of fun and i've got all of that noise kind of covered as far as getting my jollies off and some of my favorite rock and roll bands but uh broken teeth has new material coming out uh igniter we're finishing up a couple of new songs we've got like four new songs in the can and um evil united just did 
a couple of shows with Armored Saint and Saxon cool. down here in Texas, and it was a total blast. And um, we are actually writing um, new uh, Evil United stuff, and then there's a couple of projects that uh, I'm involved in now that I can't talk about. That whether they get off the ground or not, I'm, I just can't talk about because they have main people in them. Okay. So, and that's fun for me, you know, just to even be, I'm honored to be asked to work with, you know, people who have clout, you know, it's pretty awesome. Whether you'll never hear about it or not, you know what I mean? It's, it's, right. it's just, it's just awesome. I'm in a good place right now as far as that, but the workload is stupid. You know, I, I, I'm going to miss the windows of opportunity to work with some people if I don't write some fucking lyrics soon. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, there's that. I, I, it's a bummer that I'm, you know, having to write under pressure. But it happens sometimes. How many other projects have you worked in, similar to what you just mentioned, that have had name people involved that just never got off the ground? Are you offered things like that all the time, or this is just a once-in-a-lifetime type deal? No, I, you know, the... Around the time, around the time that uh, the Pantera camp was calling me for an audition, I got asked to uh, go out and sing for Dark Angel, and I doubt that that would have been an audition. I probably would have would have done that because I'm friendly with Gene Hoagland still to this day. Right. Um, but that never came together because it would have been a, an uproot, uh, moving situation. And I, anything that I had going on here, I would have had to just leave behind dry. And uh, I, I have really tried to be loyal to the people that I've started things with. Um, whether that's a good thing or bad, because maybe the grass is greener out there. We, we won't know that. So right. um, I, the, the, you could do the same. The, it's the same exact story. Um, about Pan the Pantera audition and me turning it down, except changed Pantera to Skid Row. Hmm. Uh, Snake Zabo called me a couple of times, about two weeks apart from each other. The first time I turned, that was in, uh, that was in 94, 93, 93 or 94. And uh, obviously it was Sebastian leaving and them, saying man we need to get somebody you know right and snake called me and i was completely flattered but uh i wish i would have been a bigger fan i'm just not that big of a skid row fan i, I like what they do but uh you know at least they're not at least they're kind of metal at least they're kind of have kick-ass attitude you know Right. Guys play their ass off. They're they're a kick ass fucking dirty rock and roll band. <laughs> but there's I don't know, man, maybe it was Sebastian Bach's shoes scared to try those on, you know, didn't want to be that guy, you know. Uh someone has to do it, you know. Skid Row's legit. But I just I just I guess the best way and it sounds kind of harsh and I don't mean it to be harsh, but I don't see myself as a big enough Skid Row fan to go in and 
you know, I said, oh, this this would be fun, but I wasn't excited to go do it. Right. You know, I was flattered that they thought that I was worthy of even being, you know, to even get a, to give me a call. Uh, and he called me again a couple of weeks later and was like, are you sure, dude? Are you sure you don't want to do this? You know, kind of a thing. And it wasn't like a, a jest or anything. It was like, you know, that made me feel like, wow, they, they're really thinking about, they're really thinking about me in that position, you know. But I turned it down, you know. I really couldn't see myself singing the, those songs, you know. And that's that's interesting because you talk to or you talk to you read a lot of interviews when bands bring new members in and and a lot of times you read well I really wasn't a fan of the band until I auditioned for them and I could just never wrap my head around that you know if you're gonna what does that mean though what are they saying what does that fucking mean yeah I'm not a fan I just need a gig is right. what they're really saying. <laughs> Right, which sort sort of kind of fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as people keeping up with what you're doing with all these bands, is there one place that they should go online to keep up with you? Yeah, you know what? It's not updated, but the best place for them to go and just freak out a little bit is JasonMcMaster.net. Okay. And there's some links on there. Uh, like I said, it's not updated at all. Um, another website that's brand new that that's still under construction is dangerousstories.us, and at least our our show dates, our tour dates are on that. Um, but I, they're also at jasonmcmaster.net, and there's some shopping carts there. If they want some merchandise, they can get some merchandise. Uh, brokenteeth.com, once again, is not updated, but there is some information there if people want to learn about broken teeth because. That band's been around going on 16 years, and people are still calling it my new band. <laughs> right. Kind of weird. Yeah. It's because people get stuck, you know. It's like I'm stuck in 1977 Kiss Rock and Roll Over, and people are like, you know, asking me about things. I, what? What is that? Absolutely. So, yeah, but that's that's the best place. Those, those websites there, EvilUnited.net, and some of these might be adjacent. Some of the links to some of these websites I'm given for particular bands mm-hmm. might be there at JasonMcMaster.net, uh, IgniterBand.net, I believe. It might be IgniterBand.com. I don't know. I don't go to my own website. Some, you know, it's not really my job. Right. Well, well we, I'm going to go look at my own website. You know, that's, I don't really do that. What's up, rock and roll headbangers and freaks? This is Jason McMaster, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
go. A little dangerous toys with scared. I want to thank Jason McMaster. I want to thank uh, Benjamin for online metal promo for making that happen. I also want to thank John Freeman for helping me with the Monty Pittman interview. Want to thank all you guys for listening to this podcast. Uh, want to drop us a line? You can do so via Facebook or via email. Uh, input at MarsAttacksRadio.com. In any event, we will be leaving you with, as I mentioned before, a little watchtower. This is Jason on lead vocals. This is off of their first album, Energetic Disassembly. The name of this track is Meltdown by Watchtower. Thanks again for listening and see ya. Listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 